Anyway, uh, this is as far away as you can get from Christmas morning uh, without actually being the day after. And so this is our Christmas message this morning. And um, so we're going to pause in Revelation, although I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some references to it because this passage today ties very well with what we've been talking about with the dragon and things like that. So we're going to walk through it. We're going to be talking about the wise men today. Um, I'm going to attempt to make this a sermonette today. That's my, that was my goal today is to make this more of a sermonette than a full-blown sermon. I want to look at some more devotional items rather than a lot of like technical things, but I am going to share some technical stuff because I'm, I'm kind of a geek like that and I like the technical stuff and so I want you to know it. Um, and a lot of this stuff you will know, this is a passage we've read. If you've been in church uh, for any length of time, you've heard this talked about, you've sung songs about it. Even individuals who've never walked through the doors of a church know generally this story. Um, but what I'm hoping to do today is not necessarily tell you anything new, but really just to, just to bring some light to different things and cause us to think differently about certain things. So that's what I'm I'm hoping to do this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, um, chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read through it. We're not going to have any points this morning. I'm just going to kind of walk through the passage. And then at the end, I'm going to make some application uh, for us, especially during this season. Uh, but also, the, the oftentimes pastors will, will make applications like for right now. You know, we need to have more gratitude right now. We need to be more grateful right now. Like during Thanksgiving, we'll have a, we'll have a Thanksgiving service which talks us about, about us being thankful for things, right? And those are right to do. We need to do those things. But the truth is those sentiments need to last all year long. It's not one of those things, well, we need to be grateful during the Christmas season. The rest of the year, you know, it can, go, it can take a boot, but we need to be grateful during the Christmas season. This is something that we need to remember all year round. And, um, and so let's walk through uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read through that. I'm going to pray over this passage, and then we're going to walk through it this morning. The message this morning is entitled, What Can I Bring? And so yesterday, as I was kind of finalizing some things on what I was going to do, uh, the song that I just got done leading you all in, What Can I Bring?, it's an older song. It's probably about 15 years old, but I, it, it, the Lord just brought that song to mind, and I, I texted Christy real quick. We had some changes in the lineup. I said, if you'd like to insert this song, this is the theme of my sermon this morning. I mean, it fits perfectly with my message, and so she was gracious enough to do that, and so I'm glad we got to share that with you all this morning. But if you would join with me in Matthew chapter 2, I would appreciate it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When, king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening the treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Would you join me in prayer? Father, what a, um, what a marvelous passage depicting how this baby, this Jesus in a manger changes everything. It changes our perspectives. It changes our devotion. It changes our commitments. It changes our priorities. And it changed the lives of these three wise men, these astrologers, these magicians coming from a distant land, a pagan land. But it changed their hearts, causing them to worship, causing them to bring what they had. Lord, I would ask that you would be with us this morning and give us hearts of gratitude this morning and I pray that in this season and in the months following, Father, that we would be more cognizant of the gift that you have given us. And it's not a gift that we open one day of year and then put in a closet and forget about it, but it's something that is eternal. It's something that will never fade. It's something that will never rust. It's something that we will never tire of. It allows for mercies to be new every morning. It allows us to have faith in things unseen. Father, we are grateful for your grace. Father, be with us now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I told Crystal... I can't remember, we were, we were talking on the way home, I think Friday, we had our first date night in like what seemed like months, so we went out to eat and we were kind of talking and stuff like that, and our, our conversations usually don't center on the kids anymore, uh, they, they center on the dogs, um, <laughs> we like talking about our dogs, um, we got, for those of you who don't know, we got two new dogs back uh, earlier this year, um, our long time dog, Bear, he's a Jack Russell, he died um, about a, about a year ago. And, uh, we were going to wait a year. Um, I should say it this way. Crystal was going to wait a year, uh, for a new dog. Um, but Jackson really wanted to use his Christmas money for a new dog. So we got a new dog and then I was going to wait for another dog and we went ahead and got that dog too. And so now we got these two dogs running around the house and, and, and Bear, he was like that small, you know, and now these other two dogs, I mean, like Scooby, which is a coon hound, he like comes up to here on me, you know, but they both think they're puppies. And so our 80 pound yellow lab, when he sits on Crystal, like he thinks he's a puppy, but he's like squishing her. I mean, like crushing every organ in her body. Um, but it's really sweet. And, and I told Crystal not to let me forget this because there was an illustration that I wanted to make for this morning. And it's about our yellow lab. His name is Sammy. Uh, technically, it is Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings, 
and, uh, but we call him Sammy. And when we come home, Sammy, this 80-pound yellow lab, he will bring us something. Anything he can find, he brings us a gift, okay? Um, we're always hoping that it's something that has no value, but you never know, okay? And what we've figured out is that if we leave boxes, just like empty boxes in the house while we're gone, that they won't destroy everything in the house. They'll destroy some things, but not everything. So if you come to our house unannounced, usually our entire living room floor is filled with chewed up boxes. I mean, they're just everywhere. And so give us about a two-hour window if you're deciding to come visit us. So what's funny, though, and this is where what what brings this ties into our message this morning is that on the day where we do have time and we pick everything up and we pick up all the boxes and all the cardboard and we pick up all the toys and the house is clean, you know, that sort of thing, we put it all aside. Now there's nothing on the floor. Well, when we come home, it's really funny because if you watch Sammy, he is scurrying around trying to find something to bring us. And it comes, like, I can see, like, what's going through his mind. What can I bring? What can I bring? What can I bring? And, and he gets so excited that his tail, when he gets really excited, his tail, you know dogs can't control their tail. They just go. Like it's, like, it's not attached to their body. It just wiggles, right? Only Sammy, when he gets real excited, his tail carries the last half of his body. So it's just like, like this. I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, he's going to break something in himself. And, um, and he'll like turn his head around and his tail will like slap him in the face. And he can't, like he turns all the way around, smack, smack, smack. But he's sitting there looking for some sort of toy to bring us. And it's like, what can I bring them? He wants to greet us so bad with something. Now, if you try to get it from him, he runs off. But, so he won't, he just wants to show us that he has it, but then he runs off with it. And it got me thinking. What really can we bring to the Lord? What is it that we can bring? And it brought me to this passage today that these, that these, there's a little one. Uh-oh. It, it th- I, I thought about these wise men. I thought about these wise men. And I thought about them bringing this gold and this frankincense and this myrrh. And folks, we're going to talk a little bit more about it here in a second. But these gifts were so valuable. These gifts were not cheap gifts. They weren't like dollar store gifts. You wouldn't have found these gifts in the little bins like at Walmart. You, like you walk in, you have the, like the little Fortnite Nerf guns and stuff like that. You can tell what's important to me, right? And so like you walk into Walmart and there are these like $5, $10 gifts that you can pick up and throw in a stocking real quick. That's not what these were. These gifts are reminiscent of the perfume that Mary poured on the feet of Christ and wiped it with her hair, right? They were so valuable. And I'm wondering what was going through their minds as they were bringing these gifts. Because these were truly gifts that you would bring to a king, that you would bring, especially to a newborn or a celebration, you bring a gift, right? Um, you know, in, in, in America, that's, I don't find that, that to be a real common trend, but in other cultures, it is very common that if you're going somewhere to visit somebody, you bring a gift, right? You bring a gift to give to your host or something like that, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really neat thing, and that's, that's kind of what's happening here. But I, I want to make a point here 
Um, and I want to wait till the end. I don't. I want. I want to spoil it. But I want you to be thinking about what these wise men were thinking when they finally arrived, and they bring these gifts, and then they they come face to face with the Messiah, with these gifts. But let's hold off just for a moment before we get there. Let's walk through this passage so we're all on the same page. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, now Bethlehem was actually not that far away from, from Jerusalem, okay, not that far away. It was only about six miles away, and so it would only taken about a couple hours to get there by foot, and so it wasn't that far away. Uh, sometimes we make it out to be a lot further than it is, so this is Bethlehem of Judea, David's town, and in the days of Herod the king, this would have been great Herod, it says, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, here's the deal. <clears throat> Two things. King Herod, who was this? This was Herod the Great, all right? Herod the Great, he was born in 73 B.C., all right? 73 B.C. He died in 4 B.C. Now, what does that mean? Math will tell you that that means Christ was not born on day zero, Okay? It is likely that Christ was born between 6 and 4 B.C. in that two-year window because King Herod was alive when Christ was born. And so there's about a two-year window there. So Christ was born around 6 to 4 B.C., if you will. Remember, it goes backwards there. And this was King Herod. And I just want to tell you just a little bit about King Herod. This dude was ruthless. He was evil. All right, And he truly thought of himself as king of the Jews. He thought of himself as the king of the Jews. He was ruthless and he was jealous. And what King Herod did was he murdered his wife and he murdered his children. He killed them all so that they would not be able to get power from him. This is the guy we're talking about, okay? Now, that makes a lot more sense in context now that Herod is trying to figure out where Jesus is, right? This new king of the Jews. Now, these magi, all right, these wise men or magi, sometimes we call them kings, but they weren't kings. They're coming from the east. Now, that we don't really have any idea where they're from. We say there were three of them because there were three gifts. All we really know is that there was more than one, okay? There could have been two. There could have been five or six. We have no idea. Um, so the song is sort of, amb it's, it's ambiguous, all right? Um, but let's, ju let's just say for, for, uh, for the sermon today that there were three of them, okay? Let's just say that each one of them brought an individual gift. Well, these were wise men, and who they were is they were individuals. Oftentimes, we would think of these individuals as magicians. They were magicians, or they were astrologers, and so they would have been very uh, concerned with patterns of the star. Now, be very careful. I didn't say astronomers. Okay, they weren't astronomers, they were astrologers, meaning that, that stars and where they aligned mattered to them. It told truths to them. So this is where we get, for instance, things like, you know, Pisces, and that's actually the only one I know. I don't know any of the other ones. I, uh, Capricorn, is that one? Leo. Leo oh, see, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You pagan people, I don't know where they all come from. Okay, but <laughs> all I know is apparently I'm Pisces, is what I... Which, which means I'm smart and handsome, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but either way, okay, that's, they would have been in on that, okay? They would have been looking at those things. So they were astrologers, and they were looking for signs. 
It is likely that they were from Persia. That's likely where they were from, traveling to Jerusalem, because they had heard. Now, they would not have been what we would have what believers. They wouldn't have been believers. They wouldn't have been Jewish. But they would have heard the stories because they weren't that far away. And so because of this, this is a big thing that is in Jewish culture, that the Messiah is coming, coming and that this star is going to tell the sign. Of course, we see that from Old Testament prophecy. And they're going to come and they're going to worship this king. Now, what's interesting is it says that where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It is, it is odd, I think, that Herod didn't assassinate them right there. Because he considered himself the king of the Jews. Now, Herod would have known this story. He would have known this story. He would have known this expectation. And because he was involved in the, in, in the temple, in temple worship, he was involved in selecting chief priests and all this stuff. So he would not have been ignorant of this. It is likely that they knew also that Herod was coming to the end of his life, possibly. Herod may not have been healthy. And so, in a, in a sense, they're saying that this is the new king of the Jews. That this kid is going to take the place of King Herod. Now, remember, Bethlehem, that was no, you know, that was no Sedona, Arizona, okay? Or for Debbie, it was no Myrtle Beach, okay? <laughs> That's not what it was, all right? Bethlehem was David's town. It was a little shepherd town. It wasn't any fancy, very fancy. And if you go there today you would be shocked at what you saw. I mean, it's, it's war-torn. It's like, it's, it's, it's broken down, this city is, right? But they have come, and they have come to see the king of the Jews. It says, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, there's a lot of people that are looking for a star, even today, and they're saying, okay, this was the star of Bethlehem, like it's this star, okay, or it's that star. That very well may be the case. There may very well be a physical, like it's a natural phenomenon, and God does that all the time. He controls everything, and so it would be completely applicable to say that the, that the star of Bethlehem is an actual star that we're looking for. But very likely, this star of Bethlehem, it, it doesn't make any sense to try to time things and look at calendars again, because here's the thing. The same God that said, let there be light, is not constrained by the motions of the planets or the motions of the stars. If he wants a star to rise to point to his sun, he's going to do it, and he's not going to bend around physics. Does that make sense? So it is very likely that this star rose, and it's a supernatural movement of this star to rise right above this kid, all right, right above the Messiah, pointing exactly to where this person is. It says, For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We've come to adore him. We have come to bow prostrate on the ground and give everything to him. Now, I find this to be odd because at this time, I wonder whether or not that, because remember, to worship, there is worshiping in a secular sense, which is unbiblical, and then there is worship that can only be directed by God. I wonder at this moment whether or not this is some sort of secular pagan worship that they are doing, that they may have worshipped a lot of things. They may have not have been believers at this time. In fact, I, I doubt that they were. They come from an unbelieving culture at this time, and so they're coming here, and they would have worshipped this, this child had he been of any denomination. So he's coming. they're going to come and worship him and bring gifts because that's what you do. But see, I think something changes. I think something changes here. 
So let's keep walking. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why, did he, why is he troubled? There's a threat. There's a threat, so he's troubled, right? And what do we do with threats? We get rid of threats. We eliminate threats. Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So not only was King Herod troubled, all Jerusalem was troubled. Now, I want you to think about this. I was reading a commentary actually this morning about this very, this very story. Some commentators think that it is possible that they were also troubled by this messianic prediction because they were going to reject the Messiah. That's probably not likely because most of the Jews were looking forward to the Messiah. And they didn't know who this was going to be yet. They were looking forward to the new King David. So it is very likely that they were not troubled by the birth of this child. What were they troubled by? King Herod. They were troubled that King Herod was troubled. Because King Herod, when he's troubled, he causes trouble for everybody. All right? It's just, it's just you know that person that when they're unhappy, everybody's unhappy, right? I mean, they just, they just cause trouble for everybody, right? Well, that's King Herod, only his was a lot more destructive. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them the, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem and Judea, because the prophet has said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by are no means the least among the, the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler when... Who will shepherd my people Israel? They knew the prophet had said that the Messiah was going to be coming from this city. This was no surprise. This was, no, this was not a surprise. This was no joke. They knew he was coming, and so they just informed Herod that it was getting ready to happen. And not only was he going to be born in Judah but that, or Bethlehem, but he was going to be a ruler. This would have been greatly threatening to Herod and that he was going to shepherd the people of Israel. It makes me sort of think of Moses coming and shepherding the people of Israel out of Egypt. All right, that he was going to take charge and, and remember what happened with Egypt. That didn't turn out well for the Egyptians. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Let me know the time. All right, give me the time. Give me the GPS coordinates, right? so that we can figure everything else, because I'm going to drop a bomb on Bethlehem to get rid of all these two-year-olds. Very reminiscent of Moses. Now, let me tie back to Revelation real quick. If you remember from chapter thir- from 11 to 12, we had these, this story, this vision that John had of this great red dragon that was there that was going to try to eliminate this child of the woman, the seed of the woman, Right? And that he was sort of waiting as this woman was getting ready to give birth. Like as the child comes out of the woman, that he's going to kill this child to eliminate, right? And what I said, and I still claim to this, is that that was a vision, that it's not meant to be literal, but it is to be metaphorical of what Satan is trying to do and who he's using to accomplish his goals. And I said that oftentimes Satan likes to use the state to get that done. I think this is a perfect scenario of that. I think that Satan used Pharaoh. Now remember, God used Pharaoh as well, okay? But I think he also used Herod here. That he's trying to utilize Herod to eliminate this child before he can do what he's been called to do. 
And of course, he fails. He fails miserably. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared and sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He just sounds like a snake. He just sounds like the devil there. How deceptive is that? Go, tell me where this child is so that I might too worship him. Worship is the least of Herod's concerns. Why? Because the only person that Herod worships is himself. That's it. After listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. Now, I love what a commentary that I read said about this, and this is why I also believe it's supernatural. This language is very similar to the language of where we had pillars of fire in Exodus, where God brought these pillars of fire to lead the people of God at night, right? And they went ahead of them to lead them at night. So in the day, they were blocked by, by smoke, by cloud, by a cloud, so they wouldn't be seen. And at night, he gave them sight by these pillars of fire, right? The, 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 and the pillars of fire represent the presence of God, if you will. Well, this star supernaturally is going ahead of them. It's not, sometimes we get this idea of a star just being stagnant in the sky, Okay, and that we're going that they were just going to this star. That's not what was happening here. This star was moving ahead of them, kind of directing them where they were going. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. It's moving, it's progressing until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that line. I love that line. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. All right. They, they, this, this, this had, I, I, I don't know how to um, put it. Well, I, I'll tie it into Jackson's ball game, okay? Is that yesterday, these kids wanted to win so bad, okay? They wanted to win so bad. That Jackson, when they when they were losing, like he came over to the bench at halftime because they were losing a little bit, and he was just he was in tears, he was in tears because they had I mean they had done really well all year, and he's just in tears. He wanted to win so bad, and so I said, "Don't worry about this. You go out and you play, and you play hard." And then they went out, and all of a sudden the game, the 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 major part, the 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 last quarter ends, and they're tied, they're tied, and the kids come back to the they're not excited. They have butterflies. I mean, Jackson looked like he was going to throw up. He was so nervous. I don't think I've ever felt like that during a ball game. But this, this kid playing a, a fourth grade church league basketball game, and it's like the NBA championship for him. You know, well, at their, they put three minutes back on the clock. The score's going back and forth, back and forth. There's six seconds on the clock. The ball bounces off the rim. Jackson, all four foot five of him, all right, jumps up and gets the ball and dribbles it up the court to run out the clock. The buzzer sounds, and he doesn't know what happened. 
he's got the ball in his hand. He's just like, and the referee comes and tries to take the ball from him. He's like, what? You know? And I looked at him and I was like, you won. And he's like, he didn't know what to do with himself. He's like, like, you know, I mean, he's, and then he goes, I mean, just so excited. And I'm like, that's the picture that I have of exceeding great joy, right? Like you don't know what to do with yourself. I imagine that's what these wise men had. And I wonder if we have lost that. Sometimes I wonder if we've ever had it in the first place. That we are so excited about what Christ is doing in our life that we just can't contain ourselves. We don't know what to do with ourselves. I remember the last time that UK won a championship. Now it seems like forever ago. I guess it was 2012. And I was watching. Crystal had already gone to bed because she doesn't care anymore. She doesn't like good things. But... She was asleep. It was late. And they won. And I'm like, I mean, I'm jumping up and I'm cheering and swinging and stuff. Like, now, if I did that in here, you all put me in a place. You know, you'd put me somewhere. But I'm serious. I mean, like, I was so happy that we won. And I got to watch it and see it and everything else. I was like, when is the last time that we have been that excited about what God is doing in our lives? And here these wise men, they have arrived beneath the star. And here is this Christ child, the anointed one, the king of the Jews. And they're just, they, are, they are rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. My prayer is for all of us that God would instill that in us. That we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. And going into the house, now that sounds odd. Because I thought he was born in a manger, right? Like outside, like in a stall, right? That's what we see. It is likely that this is about a year or two after that Jesus was born, okay? So this was probably, I mean, I know that all our nativity scenes have everybody together, okay? Like the shepherds are together and all the magi are together and all that kind of stuff. The nativity scenes are wrong, most likely, okay? It is likely that the magi came about a year or two after uh, to see the child. So that's probably why they're in a house here. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now here's where I want to pause for a minute. I want you to think about this. I think they had the intention when when they came to worship in one way. But then when they saw, this is the Savior of the world. This is God in the flesh. That changed everything. What is the first thing they do here? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they just fall down. They just fall down to worship him. They can't do anything else. There's no hobnobbing. There's no fellowship. There's no no time for that when you're in the presence of Christ. You just hit the ground, and you just worship. You can't do anything else. I think their idea of worship as they're traveling to Bethlehem is one thing. And their idea of worship as they're leaving Bethlehem has completely been changed. These wise men will never worship the same. In fact, I dare say they will never worship the same because they will never worship anything other than Christ forever. ever. You cannot come into the presence of Christ and be changed and keep going the way you're going. 
your life is different. If you come into the presence of Christ and you are not changed, then you are not saved. I mean, that's just, I, I don't know any other way. There, has, there is a change in a person who has, been, who has come into the presence of Christ. And going into the house, they saw the child with his Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we'll go ahead and finish the statement. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way so that they wouldn't let Herod know, right? And so again, God working supernaturally to preserve the Christ. But I want to go back to these, these gifts because remember, the title of this message is What Can I Bring? Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, a lot of times when you read commentaries, you'll see them trying to relate these items to something that it ties into the, you know, the birth, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Okay, That is probably not what's happening here. Here's what's probably happening. Gold was and still is a very valuable commodity. Very valuable. Frankincense and myrrh would have been exceptionally expensive spices or perfume, like to, to use in spices, perfumes, that kind of thing, okay? They would have been very expensive. These are not cheap things that you bring. These are things that you bring a king. And they brought them, and on the way, they were probably thinking, I'm bringing an acceptable gift to a king, because that's why they brought them. They could have brought anything, likely. These magi and astrologers, these were not like shepherds in the field. These folks were probably in the king's court. These were probably individuals that had high status, and they would have had access to pretty much anything that they wanted to bring to this new king, okay? So what they chose was very specific. So what they were bringing, they thought was adequate, I am quite certain. Now, the Bible does not say, it does not inform us, so we're going to speculate. I'm going to speculate for just a minute. That when they come into the presence of Christ, I wonder what they thought about their gifts then. I'm just going to speculate that they might have been thinking, this is all we have, but it's not enough. It's not enough. We thought we were bringing something that was adequate. But there's nothing adequate that we can bring to this child to celebrate the birth of this kid. Because he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. There has never been nor will there ever be a king like him ever again. I just imagine, I, 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 I don't want to put words in their mouths, and I've not watched The Chosen, so I don't know what happened, okay? But I can just imagine the Magi, these wise men coming in and opening these gifts and giving them, laying them there before this child and looking, and looking at Mary and Joseph and saying, we had no idea who this was until just now. So please take this. Please take this. And may it honor you. It's not much. 
but we're bringing what we can. This is all we have. So let me lay this before you. What can we bring to King Jesus? Well, first of all, let me say this. Nothing you will ever bring to Christ will equal what He's given to you. It's not like, let me, let me get all the treasures in the earth and bring them to Christ to somehow repay what He... There's not, if you accumulated all the treasure that has ever been accumulated from the beginning of time until now, it is not an adequate gift to bring to Christ to compare to what He has accomplished for us. You can't do it. There's a scene in Big Bang Theory. Gosh, I'm such a dork. Uh, There's a scene in Big Bang Theory where Sheldon Cooper, it's my favorite show of all, it's like my favorite episode of all time. And like he hates Christmas and he hates gift giving because it's always this reciprocal thing. He's like, well, they're going to give me a gift, so I have to give a gift of equal value, right? So he finds out Penny's going to give him a gift. And so he goes to Bed Bath & Beyond. Any, or No, Bath and Body Works, that place. It's the place that stinks in the mall. Anyway, he, he goes in with Howard and Raj, and he's like, he's like, well, I don't really know what she's going to give me, so we're going to plan. So he buys like one of all these different sizes. If you haven't seen it, it's great. And he brings them all home. He hides them. And his plan is that when she gives him the gift, then he's going to fake stomach distress, go into the bedroom, and get an appropriate gift that matches what she has given him. The problem is that she has given him a napkin that Leonard Neboy has wiped his mouth on. He now has the DNA on the napkin of Leonard Nimoy. He says, I only need a healthy ovum and, all, and I can have my own Leonard Nimoy. So he goes back into his room and he brings every single gift in and he says, I know it's not enough. So he gives her a special Sheldon Cooper hug. Now, I know that's ridiculous, but it's this idea, there's, there, there just wasn't enough for Sheldon to do to compare to what she had given to him. Folks, there's nothing, 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 if you think at all that we are going to do or bring anything to Christ that it compares to what he has given to us, there's not. There's not. Now, that sounds really kind of depressing, right? But I want to go back to the Magi. They hand him these gifts because that's all they had. And folks, that's all we can do. We give just what we can. We give what we're able to give. And I don't mean gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm talking about our lives. What does Christ want? He doesn't want stuff. He has no use for stuff. Okay? He has no use for your job. He has no use for your money. He has no use for your car or your house or whatever you have. He has no use for stuff. He wants you. He wants you. That's what we have to bring. You lay your whole life before Christ. And I'm just saying that that's what he wants. 
He wants you to commit him, yourself fully to him. Not partial. I'm going to give Jesus a little bit here. I'm going to give him a little bit there, but I'm going to reserve the rest of it for me. It's all his. It's all his. What can you bring? What can you bring? Well, if you're looking for something, you bring your life, my whole life for you. My whole life for you. That's what it is. And I pray that that's what we can do. This Christmas, next year, and for the rest of our lives, I'm, I'm concerned sometimes that in my own life that I'm trying, and maybe you'll resonate or maybe I'm just an oddball, sometimes I feel that I'm always trying to do stuff in order to somehow, I don't know how to say this, but I'll just say it like this. Sometimes I feel like sometimes I'm spinning my wheels trying to do stuff, like good stuff, not to earn Christ, earn my salvation. I know I can't do that, but in some way to pay Christ back. But there is nothing that I can do to pay him back. Like even this preaching right now and the singing and all this kind of stuff, these are good things, I hope, <laughs> right? I'm not, I, I'm not, if I think that I'm doing this in order to pay Christ back for what he's done for me, then I'm missing the point. The only thing we do is we just give our lives to Christ, our whole life. Now, you don't preach, maybe you don't sing in the band and lead worship. But you can still give your life to Christ, whatever you might do. In retirement, at your job, at your school, you can still give your whole life to Christ. I'm committing this to you. Not to pay you back, but as an act of worship. As an act of worship. And I will say that one of the first acts of worship that those wise men ever performed after they left that home where Christ was was going another way to their country because likely it was out of the way. But they did that and they listened to that still small voice. And it was just a small act of worship. But it was providential, wasn't it? Because it changed the course of history. This coming year, let us work together. And it is a together thing. This isn't something that you go home and you try to do by yourself. This year, let's together commit our whole lives to Christ. And let's do it together. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas. I really do. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. And I, and I hope that you all are not distracted by the culture around us and all the things that go along with Christmas, I hope that you really can enjoy Christmas for what it is. A celebration of that birth of, birth of Jesus. And that's my prayer for you this year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you dearly. And we ask you to be with us now. Father, I pray that we would commit our whole lives to you. I pray that we would honor you 
I pray that we would honor you with our lives, with our service, with our witness. And I pray that our gratitude would flow from that. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.